verse-by-verse study in the book of Jude with the closing doxology to this letter found in verses 24 and 25. So please turn to the book of Jude. It's that short one-chapter book right before Revelation. And you all know where Revelation is, right? It's at the end of the story, right? So the book of Jude. The doxology in this chapter is perhaps the most famous part of the whole letter. In fact, there are many great hymns of the church that have been written, inspired from these words. It's a beautiful passage. Lord, we thank you for these beautiful words. I pray that you would wash us with your word tonight. Just pour over us words of comfort and encouragement. Like healing balm to the soul. Give us understanding. And Lord, help us to apply these things to our daily thinking and our daily living. In Jesus' name, amen. So look at these closing verses. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I'm going to put those two verses up in the English Standard Version because I think it encapsulates a little better all that's being said based on the multiple of Greek manuscripts. So, again, let's read it again. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Every phrase in that doxology is beautiful and powerful. And you know what I want to do? I want to pick it clean tonight. I want to get all the meat off the bones Because there's so much here. We have a God who is able. He's able. The Greek word uh, behind this English translation, able, is the famous word. You've all heard it. Dunamis, where we get our, our word dynamite. Explosive power. God is able to accomplish incredible things in your life. God has the power to do amazing things in your life. He is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to keep you from falling. Now, there's a long-term perspective to this phrase. The idea is 
God has the power to keep you from falling from the faith. God has the power to keep you secure in his family, in his salvation for your whole life. The idea is that God is able to keep you from stumbling through all the challenges that we face in life as Christians. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that living the Christian life is like running a race. And it is not a 100-yard dash, is it? It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. A long, grueling marathon. Now, I have never ran a marathon. I will never run a marathon. I was not born for that. But I've heard, I've read, that when you run a marathon, you encounter all kinds of obstacles. There's the depletion of energy. There's hitting the wall, as they call it. There's rough terrain. Maybe there's tough weather that you have to run through. Well, the same thing is true for your life as a Christian. As you live for Christ, you get born again, you become a brand new babe in Christ, you start running. And the race begins. And you know when it ends? When you die. It goes all along. God is able to keep you from stumbling. In other words, God is able to get you to the finish line. He has the power to do that. There are many challenges to the Christian life. First and One that we all experience practically every day is living in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And even as born-again Christians, we experience pain and suffering living in a fallen world. Sickness, disease, accidents, work can be hard, career, financial hardships, broken relationships. Just getting old is a bummer, right? As you get older, you have to deal with all sorts of different things, health issues. It can be tough. You can go through some seasons in this life that are extremely painful just because you live in a fallen world. Jesus, by his power, is going to get you through that. He'll get you through it. We also have sinful natures. That we battle against. Tough, tough issues. Now when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You became born again. You were given a new nature. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's wonderful. But you also have the old sinful nature. Hanging around. And this side of heaven. You will struggle with sin. Despite your best efforts. Despite your best intentions. You're going to say things sinful. You're going to think things sinful. You're going to do things sinful. But God, despite all of that, will keep you. Now, verse 24 is not a promise that God will enable every Christian to live a perfect, sinless life. The promise here is that he's going to keep us through this life in our lifelong struggle with sin. He'll keep you. 
He'll restore you. He'll help you. See, I know a lot of Christians, they have besetting sins or they fail and they think it's all over. No, listen. God is able to keep you. You remember uh, in John 13 where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. You remember that? It's what an incredible story. And there's a, a very powerful illustration of a very important principle in that setting. Jesus gets up and he begins washing all the feet of his disciples. And everyone's like, wow, I can't even. And he comes to Peter. And remember, Peter says, you won't wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, then you won't have, I won't have anything to do with you. Or you won't. And then Peter goes, well, get, wash all of me. Give me a bath. And Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. But not all of you, speaking of Judas. But everyone else in that room was clean. They were believers. In other words, they had been bathed. But their feet got dirty. And there's a very powerful principle. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, my friend, you get a bath. You are forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, future. Yet still, as Christians, we get our feet dirty. We're running along. We step in the mud. We get them dirty. And you know what we do? We bring those dirty feet to Jesus and ask him to cleanse. And he will. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, God will keep us through all the issues of living in a fallen world with a sinful nature. We also experience worldly temptations. We live in a world that tempts us all the time. All the carrots, and there are Christians that sometimes that go after them and we get in trouble, but even then, God can take care of us. We also struggle against Satan. Satan is real. He's the lion who roars, seeking to devour. He seeks to uh, uh, distract you, destroy you, neutralize you. And you have to contend with him, and it's a battle. But God's going to keep you. False teachers, false teaching. Remember these guys, the wolves? Throughout church history, the false teachers come in. They try to deceive. And so you're always being bombarded with false teaching, with bad influences. There's so many ways that you can get off track. And it's really sad when you see false teachers deceive people close to you, family members, maybe Christians that you thought were once Christians, but then they fall away. All of the trials, all of the challenges All of the ups and downs, all of the issues, all of the attacks. God is able to get you to the finish line. God is able to keep you. There are other verses that say the same thing. I love Hebrews 7. He is able to save to the uttermost. 
those who come to God through him. Romans 16, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. I love Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power, the power of God that works in us. He's able. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will what? Complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He'll get you there. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, he'll get you to the finish line. He'll get you there. He's able to keep you. Now check this out. When you get to the finish line, when this life is over, when you depart planet earth, when you take your last breath, look what God is able to do then. To him who is able to present you before the presence of his glory. In other words, when you die, when you breathe your last, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, God has the power to present you in his very presence, blameless, in his glorious presence. One day, one day, we're going to see God. Listen, one day, you will see your maker. One day, you will stand in the presence of the God whom the Bible says dwells in unapproachable light. God has the power to get you there. By the way, when I think of heaven, there's a lot of things I'm looking forward to. I am definitely looking forward to the streets of gold and the place that we're going to dwell. I'm really looking forward to the brand new models, the brand new bodies that will never get sick or die. But I have a feeling that in the deepest part of all of our souls, our greatest desire is to see God. To see him. That was the absolute passion of David and the psalmist. One thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. I can't wait to behold the beauty of the Lord. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? There's the psalmist. I can't wait. My soul thirsts to see him. Do you have that thirst? Day that you'll be able to see God. Psalm 8410, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Oh, my friend. Oh, my friend, God has the power to present you 
before his glorious presence. And, and understand, that takes a lot of power. Because mankind is sinful. We're sinners. Our sin separates us from God. God is holy. We're sinful. God is light. We're dark. There's no way that we could appear before a holy God in our own state. And you find that all over the scripture. This great separation between holy God and sinful humanity. This last Sunday... We studied God's appearance at Mount Sinai. And let me tell you, that was a scary thing. God says, I'm going to show up on the mountain and you need to put fences around the mountain to keep the people. Don't get close to the mountain. Don't touch the mountain. What happens if you do? Death. God in his holiness. Mankind in his sinfulness. How do you put them together? At the top of that mountain, at Mount Sinai, God would give Moses all of the laws regarding the priesthood. All the priests that could get close to God. One tribe out of 12, the Levites. They got the blueprints for the tabernacle system, the mobile tent structure, which would eventually become the temple that was housed in Jerusalem. And I'll tell you what, in the innermost compartment of the temple that place is called the holy of holies that's where the presence of god was you couldn't go in there in fact you're looking at the temple imagine a bunch of courts that wrap around the temple the furthest court outside was called the court of the gentiles everyone could go the next inner court was called the court of the women only jews could go including men and women Then it was the court of the Israelites, only men. Then inside, the priests, only priests. Pull out that inner part of the temple. The first place that you would walk into would be called the holy place. Only priests could go in there. Then you have the holy of holies with the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God would meet his people. One man on one day Every year, the Day of Atonement. By the way, we just celebrated that this Monday, Yom Kippur. And only the high priest. And only with blood. Of a sacrifice. And it was risky, man. The high priest could go in and if they didn't do things right, man, he could be killed. If he did anything wrong, the separation between God and sinful man. Moses was an incredible guy. In Exodus chapter 33, he says, God, show me your glory. And God responds to him, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Can't see God. Even mortal men in the Bible barely survive visions of God's holiness. In Revelation chapter 1, John the Apostle sees Jesus Christ glorified. And it says in Revelation chapter 1, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Isaiah gets a vision of the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And his reaction 
Woe is me, I'm undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, I'm done. There's separation. The sinfulness of man. But God is able to present you blameless. Now, uh, now, please understand what this is saying. God is able to present you in the very presence of God, sinless, without blemish, perfect. He has the power to do that. And of course, that's through what? That's through faith in Jesus Christ. If you were to try to go and, and stand before God in your own sinfulness, you're done. You're the bug going to the bug zapper, right? You're done. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he clothes you in righteousness. Have you ever had the unfortunate experience of not getting the memo on the dress code to some event? You know, you go and everybody's in ties and suits, but you're in flip-flops and shorts. How awkward that feels. Well, if you're going to be in the presence of God, you've got to have the dress code down. If you don't have the dress code right, you're out. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're covered in his righteousness. And because of that, God presents you perfect in the very presence of God. That whole thing reminded me of the vision that Zechariah got in chapter 3. Do you remember this? Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. That's a picture of you and your own strength, your own maybe religion or self-righteousness. I mean, here's the high priest, Joshua, dressed in filthy garments. Satan is accusing him, rightly so. But in the rest of that vision... He answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I've removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Before you come to Christ, you are clothed in filthy garments. When you give your life to Jesus, Jesus clothes you with rich, righteous robes. And so he has the power. To present you blameless. He's able. And you go on. He's able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Do you realize um, that you have never, ever in all of your life experienced joy? like you will experience when you stand in the presence of God. The language is great joy. In the New King James, it says, 
exceeding joy. We're talking about joy that you've never experienced before in your whole life. Now, I know that when we see God, I know when I see God, I'm going to do a face plant. I am. I mean, we're going to be overtaken. We're going to have this reverence and fear to it. But at the same time, listen, you will experience the greatest joy you've ever known. Because that's what you were created for. And we're told in Psalm 16, verse 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. And check this out. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You think heaven's boring? Oh, think again, man. Your eyes will see God. You'll experience the fullness of joy. And you'll experience his pleasures at his right hand forevermore. He's able. He's able to do it. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from following in this life, from falling, to get you to the finish line. And after the finish line, he's able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And of course, all of that through God our Savior, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus has done. It's because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. I put this up a lot, but it's so important that you understand it. Here's our position. We are sinful. We're separated from God. We are so far from God. The wages of our sin is death. God is holy. He's way over here. We can't, there's no way we can reach him. But God in his love sent Jesus, his son, who died on the cross for our sins. And listen, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you get the bath. You get the brand new set of clothes. You're glorified, redeemed, sanctified, justified, saved to the uttermost. All because of what Jesus did. So listen, man, Jesus is the jewel of Christianity. Jesus is the gem of the Bible. God's son became man. Dwelt among us, paid that price. And that's why we're told in Philippians 2... God has exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our jewel. He's our king. All of that. Through what Jesus has done for us. So in light of all God's power. All of his ability. All that he's done for you. All that he's doing right now for you. And all that he will do in the future. What does God deserve from us? I 
What should we give God in return? We should give him everlasting praise. Amen? Everlasting praise. Worship. Stand back again and and, and look at this whole doxology. If you look in your Bible, you'll know that it's indented. It's quoted. This is an ancient hymn. This would be a hymn that local churches would sing. In fact, you'll find lots of hymns like that in New Testament letters. Actual doxologies and hymns and songs that the people would sing. In the Bible, people sing. Psalm, one, Psalm has 150 songs. They sang all over the Old Testament. They sing in church history. They sing now. We are to offer him everlasting praise. In fact, I personally am of the belief that God created music as an expression for us to worship and praise. I mean, think about it. Why is there music? By the way, ask that of an evolutionist. Why was there need for music, Mr. Evolutionist? Was that a means of survival? No. We were created in the image of God with an appreciation for music, and it's through music and song that we worship and express our praise to the Lord. By the way, you know Satan? He was Lucifer in heaven, and we know from Scripture he was the chief worship leader in heaven. You think the devil knows music? Real good at it. Knows what people like. And now he's twisted it and turned it into all kinds of perverted material. Worship was meant. Music was meant to worship the Lord. So, man, I am telling you. Do not underestimate the power of the church gathering together to worship. The angels do it. We'll do it forever. We owe him our everlasting worship. The old English word for for worship was worth-ship. And the idea is that to worship God means to ascribe unto God all that he is worthy of. And this is what it's doing. You're singing, to him be glory. All glory belongs to God. All honor and dignity and respect possible. All majesty belongs to God. All greatness and magnificence. All dominion and power. All authority goes to him. God is worthy to be the one in control of all things. He's the power. And I love how it puts it in the ESV. He's worthy of it for all time. He's worthy of it before all time. Before there was time. He's worthy of it now. And he's worthy of it forever. What does he deserve from us? Everlasting praise. You know what he also deserves from us? Surrendered lives. Surrendered lives. If God has saved you, 
You should be willing to surrender your life to him. I've always loved this in Romans chapter 12. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your what kind of service? Your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters talk about all that God has done for you. And we learn about these words like justification and sanctification and how we're saved through faith and all that Christ has done. Everything that God has done. And so then here at chapter 12, we turn a corner. And Paul says, therefore, based on everything that God has done for you, by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice. In other words, give him everything. Give him your body. Somebody put it like this. Treat your body like a blank check. Give it to God and say, spend me any way you want. Now, some would say that's so radical. Can you, you, you're going to be too radical if you do that. Paul says it's reasonable. It's not unreasonable. Not at all. Compared to everything that God has done for you, it is perfectly reasonable to surrender your life. And so that means, my brother and sister in Christ, we live our lives I mean, we want to please him. We want to grow in him. Now, we just read about the promise that uh, he has promised that he is able to keep you from stumbling all through this life. But you have a part to play in that. In fact, last week we studied how we're supposed to keep ourselves in the love of God. We're supposed to build ourselves up on the holy faith. God has given us resources which help us to keep from falling, like his word. So we are to work at it. We are to surrender. We are to be dedicated to him. We're to cooperate with him. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, watch this, But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Isn't that interesting? You're supposed to cooperate with God. Work out your own. That doesn't mean you're working to get saved. You are saved. But you work it out. You're surrendered. You seek to please him. And God himself works in you to help you. So again, I would go back. That sinful nature, man, it's a struggle. But take it seriously. Work it out. Desire to, if something's causing you to stumble, remove those things that tempt you. He deserves Surrendered lives. You know what else he deserves? Contenders for the faith. And this would take us back to the theme verse for the whole book. 
When Jude said in verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exerting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. To contend earnestly means to fight. It's a strong word. It means to wrestle. What does God deserve? Fighters. Contenders. People who will contend for the faith. See, God has saved you. He's changed you. There are lots of people in your life that haven't met God yet. And we are to be those who are fighting for people, wanting people to get saved. As, as Jude said last week, we need to be the one, ones that are willing to snatch people out of the fire. What God has done for you, you don't want to just keep to yourself. You want to use your life to make him known. Be so encouraged tonight. God is able to keep you from stumbling all through this life. God is able to present you faultless in the next life. God has so many good things in store for you. Whatever you might be going through in this life, you remember, God is able to keep you. And because of what God has done for you, worship him. Surrender your life to him. Fight for him. Contend over the souls of other men and women. I'd like you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Lord, we are so grateful for your power that you're able to keep us, that you're able to save us thoroughly. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight who are going through a hard time struggling. Encourage them tonight. Know that you're with Lord, show them that you're with them. You got things you got things worked out. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, what would happen if you were to die tonight and go stand in the presence of God in his glory? Would you be dressed appropriately? Would you be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Have you had the bath? Have you been redeemed? Have you been saved? You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can only receive what Jesus Christ has done for you at the cross. 
He went to the cross and he took your sins on your behalf. Upon himself. And he died in your place and he rose again. And if you put your faith and your trust in him. He'll save you. If you haven't done that, I want you to do it right now. Whether you're sitting here or you're watching online, are you clean? Have you been forgiven? If not, cry out to God right now. Just the cry of your heart. Admit, Lord, I'm unclean. I'm wearing dirty, filthy garments. I'm dirty. Wash me, clean me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. I surrender my life to you. Use me for the rest of this life to contend for the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to come share that with us right after the service. We're going to do something a little different as we close. This doxology reminded me of a doxology that you find in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Not necessarily a doxology, but this is another example of a hymn that you find in the scripture. Now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.